One of the ways that we turn our eyes to Jesus is we open God's Word and we hear what He has to say to us. In a world where there are so many voices and so many things that want to divert our attention, so many screens, so many devices, uh, so much busyness, so many things to do, uh, we want to continue to worship the Lord today as we look into His Word and as we talk about the work that God is doing in you. And yes, the Lord is doing a work in you. If you have named Jesus as Savior, if you are in fact born again, if you are a legitimate Christian, God is doing a work in you. He's doing it through the Spirit of God that indwells with inside of you. And it's a work that we call sanctification. This is the title of this series and this section of Romans as we've been moving our way through it. We've been talking about this process, this work of God that unfolds in you through the Spirit of God, this process of sanctification. Sanctification is a progressive experience of holiness. I hope that you recognize and realize and see how God is doing this inside of you. I hope that you see and recognize and realize that all the good things, all the bad things, all the things that bring you joy, all the things that bring you pain through all the highs and lows of life, this is a work that God is doing in you. He is making you holy because He wants you to be more like Jesus. And as we have looked through Romans, we have considered two pretty strong images that have described this process. Two weeks ago, we talked about this spiritual union that we have with Christ, this union that we have with His death, and this union that we have with His resurrection. Uh, this union is beautifully pictured in baptism. Water baptism pictures this union that we share with Him. And so we talked about that two weeks ago, how, it, how this union, it pictures this process that God is doing inside of us. Last week, we looked at a phrase that I think might be very culturally unrelevant, how we are slaves of God, how we are required to present ourselves to Him for his service. These two images, uh, these two images communicate how important this process is. And this process of sanctification, it's non-negotiable. You are a child of a sovereign God. And this is something that he will complete in your life. The Bible even promises it. It says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Christ. And this can happen in a lot of ways. This work of sanctification in which you grow in holiness and godliness, this, this can happen through your obedience. As you have sensitivity to the Lord, as you read and study His Word, as God speaks to you, and through your obedience, you share in His holiness. This is one way that it happens. But there's another way that it happens, a way that I think many of us experience. It often happens through God's discipline. As we're disobedient to God, as we hear His voice, as He tells us to do things, and we rebel, and then God, like a loving father towards His child, He disciplines us for our holiness. Often this process of sanctification, it happens through suffering. It happens through bad things, things that are difficult for us in life. But one thing is for sure, regardless of how this process happens and unfolds in each and every life, and it looks different for all, from all, for all of us, 
But regardless of that, it is always something that involves struggle. It is always a difficult process. It is not easy walking with Jesus. It is not easy pursuing holiness. It is no simple thing for us to attain a measure of godliness in this life. It is something that is difficult. In fact, it's war. It's spiritual warfare that we engage in, and not a war with circumstances, not a war with other people, but it is a war that is waged with inside of us. It has often been described, and maybe you can relate to this, like two dogs fighting. I have two dogs that live on my back deck and in a portion of my backyard, Molly and Charlie. And if you have ever seen Molly and Charlie play with each other, it can get pretty aggressive. I mean, there can be some showing of teeth. And whenever they're not playing anymore, and whenever they really start fighting, I mean, it sounds just all the growling and gnarling and barking that you can imagine with two dogs fighting. Listen, this is happening in you, or it has happened in you, or it will happen in you. This is something that is part of a cycle of sanctification in your life. And this is what we see that is unfolding in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. I call this a cycle of sanctification. And it goes something like this. And you can, you can see this uh, simply laid out. This is, this is basically my outline for these two chapters that we're going to look at over the next several weeks. But this cycle of sanctification, there's this illumination from, uh, uh, from God's law or from God's word. And you know how this works. You, you read the Bible, you open God's word, and you see what God says. And all of a sudden you see and understand as you, like the song that we just sang, you turn your eyes to Jesus and you renew your mind in God's law. And all of a sudden what happens is, is it shows you maybe some areas in your life where you're not perfect. And you say, well, I'm determined to walk with God and to make those necessary changes. And when that happens, after the light bulb goes off, there is an internal struggle that takes place with your sinful nature. This is mainly what we're going to talk about today. This internal struggle, this war within that, that, uh, that takes place. And this war basically has two sides. It's the new you that's indwelled by the Spirit of God, that has a desire to obey God's law and to love Him and to walk with Him. But then there's this other side. It's the old you. It is the you that has indwelling sin, a sinful nature that is inclined to disobey God's law. You have the indwelling Spirit and the indwelling sinful nature creating this internal struggle, this, this war that's waged on the inside of you. And the interesting part about this is the role of the law of God, the rules of God, the word of God, the standards of God in this process. In one sense, you have the new you, the Spirit of God, that is using the Word of God and the law of God to show you the vision of God for your life. But then on the other side, you have the sinful nature 
that is also using the law of God and the word of God in a way that is against you to produce more sin and more death inside of you. And it is truly a war when the weapon that is used is utilized by both sides and it takes place as it spins around inside of you. And so in this cycle of sanctification where we want to be, which is what we're going to talk about next week and or the following week when we get into Romans chapter 8, where we want to be in this cycle is victory through the Holy Spirit. And we want to live there, right? Wouldn't it be great if we just walked around all the time in just absolute and complete total victory from all sin and from everything? that Wouldn't it be great if we just lived there all the time? That we were never illuminated in God's law about our failings. We never experienced any kind of struggle. And we just lived in victory all the time. You know, I find that immature believers, they think that they should be living in victory all the time. But the truth is, if you talk to a mature believer, a mature believer will tell you, somebody who's been walking with God for a long period of time will tell you that this cycle of sanctification often repeats itself. Sometimes with the same sin over and over again. But oftentimes with new revelations as you read God's law and see God's standards and know Him better and know yourself better, the battle wages on. But the good news is one day it will be completely over when Jesus comes to take you to be with Himself. What I want to talk to you about today is the war within. The war within. We're going to look at Romans chapter 7. There, is a, there, there, there are a lot of verses here. And again, what I have been trying to do is to not get lost in the details of every blade of grass down into the weeds where we lose the overarching meth, uh, message of what God's Word is telling us. Y'all know those people who talk a lot, but just say a little bit? Y'all know those people? There's one of them standing on stage, right? Uh, preachers have a tendency to do that. We say a lot, we explain a lot, but we're really just, we're really just trying to get across one simple message. That's what God's Word does. That's what we see right here in Romans chapter 7. And in many passages in Romans, there's a lot of words, a lot of phrases, a lot of images, but there's really just one core message. And what we see right here is we see this battle that is fought in this cycle of sanctification. We're not going to necessarily look at the, the victorious part uh, uh, today. We're going to look at more of the war in this cycle of sanctification as we look at Romans chapter 7. Now, the first thing I, I, I talked about uh, in this cycle of sanctification is this illumination from God's law. This is the first thing that we see, this illumination from God's law. This is what is stated in Romans chapter 7, really if we backed up to verse 1, but especially verses 7 through verses 14. Um, what what the, uh, the writer of Romans is saying is that there is this, this light bulb that goes off whenever we study God's law, God's word, God's standard that kind of creates, uh, creates the battle. Now, 
if we were going extremely slowly through Romans, for example, if we were doing Romans on a Wednesday night or maybe on a Sunday night, then what I would do is I would pause during this section and we would have one whole message, perhaps two, on just the role of the law. And we would look at that and we would delve into that. If we were doing a series on marriage, we would probably slow down and we would just look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 6. But Romans 7, 1 through 6 and Romans 7, 7 through 14, really all the only thing that the writer of Romans is doing, the Apostle Paul, all he's doing is he is building into this, uh, he's, he's building up to this main idea about this war that takes place between a person, uh, and uh, between the Spirit of God and the, the sinful flesh inside of a person um, that is in this cycle of sanctification. So therefore... We're just going to stick with the main idea and look at this war. But I want to point out some things that are stated about how uh, uh, God's law illuminates us. And by the way, when I'm talking about the law, I'm not talking about all the ceremonial or ritual laws from the Old Testament. I'm speaking about all of the requirements of God. Not just the Ten Commandments, not just the, um, the Old Testament moral commands, but also when we're talking about law in this particular sermon, we're speaking about all of the standards that God has for us as his people, okay? So what the law does, we see this in verse 7, is the law reveals to us what God wants for us. All right, we see this pretty clearly, okay? He says, I would not have known sin if it wouldn't have been for the law. He said, what shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. If it had not been for the law, you see, the good, there's, a, there's a good place for studying the law. If it would not have been for the law, I wouldn't have known what sin was. I wouldn't have known what was wrong with me. I would not have understood what God requires of me if it wasn't for the law. I wouldn't have known, for example, what it was to covet if the law had said, you should not covet. The law is a, rele a, a, a revelator. The law tells us the character of God, his standards, the things that God wants us to avoid for our good and for his glory. God's law is good. God's law is perfect. God's law is worthy of your meditation. The Bible says, in uh, the psalmist in uh, Psalms chapter 1 uh, says, Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or sit in the seat of the scornful or for mockers. But it says, on his law, he meditates day and night. The scripture says, the law of the Lord is perfect and it's trustworthy. It's true. It's for every person of all times. God's standards are eternal. They're universal. Bible says the grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. So the law is good. God's word is good. God's standards are good for us. But in this passage, what's stated here is that there's some things that I would not have known that were bad for me if it wouldn't have been for God's law. All right, this, this is kind of how it works. You wouldn't have known that there's some bad things things that maybe you were doing that were bad, things that God says that are bad and harmful, you wouldn't know that unless you actually studied God's Word and studied God's law and figured it out. Or God would have showed it to you. He would have illuminated your mind. He revealed it to you. And an example here is you shall not covet. This is the 10th commandment. Now, let me ask you a question. I mean, doesn't it make sense 
that as people who are physical and live in a physical world and have physical needs, that it's just logical that we should see things that we want and desire them. Well, of course it is. But what we don't logically understand is that if that gets out of control, it turns into materialism, what the Bible calls coveting. And so this is but one example where the Bible turns the light bulb on for us and says, hey, don't covet. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's possessions, livestock, things like that. Don't covet what he has. And of course, there's a teaching in the New Testament about being contentment. And when we study this and we put it all together, God's law shows us, oh, wait a minute, what I have in my heart is materialism. And what I, I never saw that, but now I study God's Word. I see His standards, what He says. I look at myself and I realize, oh my goodness, I'm coveting. This is how sanctification works. There's lots of examples that we could use. Uh, there we could talk about blatant sins, or we could talk about pride, self-righteousness, gossip, receiving your own glory. We could talk about uh, uh, stealing. We could talk about lust. All types of things that we could talk about that would be things that God's law would say, don't do this. Here's what happens, though. The law reveals to us that we have a sin problem. This is what we see in the second thing. The law reveals to us that we have a sin problem. And what happens is sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, and this is interesting here, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Now listen, the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet, does not produce covetousness. That's not what, that's not what the Scripture is saying. The Scripture is saying that because we have a sin problem, that whenever we look at God's law, it is used by our sinful nature to produce more covetousness. You, you see how both God uses this, His law, and the enemy uses His law in this manner? But it's almost like He says, sin came alive. Now, I don't know about you, but in my sinful nature, when I receive a rule, it just makes me want to break it. Now, not all of you are like that, okay? My wife is a rule follower, okay? If it's a rule, you don't follow. I get a rule, I'm like, why can't I do that? What's fun about it? Is there something fun they don't want me to do? I know, see, that's sinful on my part, right? Some of you are looking at me like, what? You really think that way? Yes, I really think that way. That's my sinful nature, Wanting to break rules. My, by the way, Dr. Anderson, my teachers loved me growing up in school. I mean, they absolutely loved me growing up in school for that reason. Um, but this is kind of what he's talking about. It's like receiving these rules, it, it causes this sinful nature, and it realizes this revelation. You know, that, you know that feeling that you have when all of a sudden you realize, I messed up. Oops. I didn't mean to, I didn't do it on purpose, but uh, I, should, I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have made that decision. This is what happens whenever we read God's Word in the example of coveting. Oh, until I read, Thou shalt not covet, I didn't realize I was being materialistic. And so a lot of different examples could be used, but suffice it to say that the giving of the rules, the giving of law, and here's the interesting part, it doesn't fix the sin problem. 
This is the problem with preaching law. Preaching law does not fix the sin problem. In fact, the Bible says that it can just make it worse. We have to be preachers of grace. We have to be preachers of the cross. We have, be, we have to be people that tell people about Jesus and how he saves sinners, not people of law that say, hey, here, here are all of God's rules. Here, let me just throw them on you and you go follow them. It just, it just, it just doesn't work. What happens is sin just comes alive in people. I didn't say it. The Bible just says it right here. It's interesting the way that that happens, that the law just uncovers the smell of a dead carcass of a sinful nature inside of us. And so the law is, is used to produce death. Look at all this in verses 10 through verses 13. All this seizing of opportunity, death, and killed me. Um, that, and that's, that's what happens whenever we read God's Word understand ourselves and see God's standards and listen it's at this point that we feel the most defeated in the cycle of sanctification that's where some of you are today that's where some of you are today you are feeling utterly defeated you see who God is and what his standards are you see yourself and how you fall short of those standards, and you are feeling utterly defeated. Now is the time for combat. This is the time for combat. This is not the time to lay down and to give up. This is not the time and the point of your personal sanctification whenever you just say, God is good, I'm not, oh well. This is not that point. Listen, this is the time for combat. This is the time to do battle. This is the time, this is the time that those two dogs inside of you really begin to fight. And this is not for the faint of heart. This is what sanctification looks like. And if you want to know what it really looks like, you need to read with me and look carefully with me at this internal struggle with the sinful nature in verses 15 through verses 25. And this is a controversial passage. There are some people that look at this passage differently. And there may be some of you that possibly interpret this differently than me. But there are some people that believe that this struggle that this great apostle Paul is going through, that he's describing, that he is describing his state as an unbeliever and a struggle that was going on inside of him as an unbeliever. I wholeheartedly reject that view. Because this would mean that he is in a battle for salvation before he's saved. Listen, the Bible tells us that you're not battling for your salvation before you're saved. The Bible tells us that you are running away from God, that you're a sinner, that you're warring against God. There's no battling for our salvation. This is a battle for sanctification. This, these verses right here, oh, I really hope this gives you freedom and joy today, but this verse right here is describing what it looks like for a believer to carry their cross. This is what it looks like for a believer to struggle to be the person that God 
is leading them to be. Sanctification is combat. And it just, it just doesn't end. And it should be happening. This war, what we're going to look at in these verses, these things should be taking place in you. They should have been taking place in you, or they will be taking place in you. But this battle that is waged is not describing an unbeliever. In fact, this is not describing an immature believer. Some people say that. Well, this is describing the Apostle Paul when he was an immature believer. No! This is describing what's going on inside of the heart of one of the godliest saints we have in the entire Bible. And you say, well, what is, what is he feeling? Well, first off, he, there's a lament in these verses. He is, he is lamenting in his soul. He has angst inside of him. Grief and anguish because of his sin. This is what revival looks like. This is what it looks like when a person is on the path of revival, when they are walking down the road of sanctification, and whenever God is about to do something victorious inside of them, this is what it looks like, and it's not pretty. Confusion. He says, I don't understand. You ever been there? Oh, I just don't understand. Why do I act like this? Why do I do this? Why do I say this? Why do, I, why do I behave this way? I hate being this way. I hate acting like that. I hate that I struggle with this. That's what he's saying in these verses. There's, there's confusion. He says, I don't understand my own actions. I'm doing things that I don't understand. Do you hear what he's saying? He says, I don't understand my own actions. For I do not what... Hold on. There's a lot of do's in here. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Do you hear what he's saying? Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it is no longer I who do it. Look who's in him. Look what's within him that's creating this confusion. But it is sin that dwells within me. Confusion. And then there's conflicting behaviors which is basically the same verses. He says, there's something that I want to do, but I, I, can't seem to, I can't seem to actually do the things that I want to do. Those good, godly, holy, righteous things. It's like, I want to do those things, but I don't do those things. Instead, I do the things that I, that I don't want to do. Listen, just because God changes your desires does not mean that you fully possess the power in every moment to carry out those godly desires. We still need a savior. We still need someone to help us. And that's what there's these, these conflicting behaviors. And the problem is not external in your struggle. It's not external. We like to blame our circumstances. Or we want to blame other people. Or we want to blame Satan. Or we even want to blame God. Like Adam did. Listen. It's your fault. I mean, it's, it's sin that dwells inside of us. I mean, just read the book of James. It says, every man is tempted when by his own desires he is carried away and enticed. Don't give Satan glory for your sin. you got to own it. 
you got to own it and say, man, this is something that's inside of me that has to be defeated. It's me. It's my sinful nature. You see, until you take that responsibility, you'll never be able to move into Romans chapter 8 that talks about victory. And I want to get there so fast, but I've got to, let me finish this. There, There is a false teaching. There is a false teaching that denies the reality of sin inside of you. It's called perfectionism. I don't have time to trace it back theologically, but suffice it to say that John Wesley said some things. He didn't believe in perfectionism. He said some things that some people later developed as this doctrine of perfectionism that basically says that God does a second work of grace in your life. That you get saved, there's a work of grace that is done of you in your salvation, but then later, at a later time, there's this second work of grace which completely defeats your sinful nature and now you're perfect and you don't struggle anymore. Now I know a lot of godly people that have been walking with Jesus all their life and still struggle. And I, and I, I don't think they missed it. Now some Pentecostal groups have picked up on this teaching And they have said that the second work of grace that happens in your life is uh, the reality of speaking in tongues. And that's whenever this perfection comes. Now some of this, it's a little more complicated than that. But suffice it to say that this teaching of perfectionism teaches that you don't have a sinful nature anymore. That you you shouldn't have this struggle. I'm going to tell you, if... If we shouldn't have this struggle, then I, I, I shouldn't be where I am, and some of you shouldn't be teaching life groups, and several of you shouldn't be deacons, and some of us should just kind of step down. If there, if there should be this, this higher place where people no longer struggle with sin, I just reject that. I, I, I don't believe that. And then there's these feelings of defeat. Some of you might feel this right now. Verse 18. This is what's going on in the, inside the heart of a godly man, the Apostle Paul, as he's seeking to be who God wants him to be. He says, I just don't have the ability to carry it out. He says, I know, I know in my mind that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. I have this desire, I have this passion, this desire. I want to do what's right, but look what he says. I just don't have the ability to carry it out. I just can't do it. I just, I just, I just keep failing. And then he goes on to say that it's this ongoing pattern in verse 19 through 20. He says not only only does it happen, but it just, it keeps on happening. He says, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want, that's what I keep on doing. It's like this, this pattern because of sin that dwells inside of me. And then it's an inevitable conflict in verse 21 through verse 23. He says, so I find in this law, all this talk about the law, and now he's going to talk about a different law. This is a different, I guess we could call this a spiritual law. He says, when I want to do right, when I want to be godly, when I want to walk in holiness, when I want to overcome that sin inside of me, at that moment, at that point that I desperately want to do what is right, at that particular moment, evil lies close at hand. It's like a, it's like a supernatural alarm. I mean, you just give it a, just give it a try. Just wake up with the resolve in your heart. 
I'm going to be godly. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to, I'm going to overcome, to use the example in Scripture, I'm going to overcome covetousness. And just watch how a string of temptations for materialism just unfolds in your life. If you struggle with lying, or if you struggle with all manner of whatever the Bible says not to do, as soon as you say, I want to do what is right, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to come to church. I'm going to celebrate the Lord's Day from now on, every single Sunday. As soon as that desire passes through your heart, it awakens in you your sinful nature and the forces of evil that descend upon you that are going to do everything possible to keep that from happening in your life. And you know who is the general of those forces of evil? It's you and your flesh and your sinful nature. The reality of it really is that bad. This is why Jesus said to take up the cross. Take up the cross and follow him because it's hard. It's warfare. This is why Jesus said, if your right hand causes you, right, right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is war. It is difficult. If you are spiritually relaxed, you are not in the cycle of sanctification. You should either be in a state of God's Word illuminating and marinating your heart, or in a state of internal battle and struggle, like we've talked about today, or in a state of victory and peace and joy and contentment in the Holy Spirit. You should be in one of, those, one of those places in that cycle. If you're just relaxed on your heels and you're just, don't, I mean, you're just apathetic right now, you are not actively engaged in the war. Because people, people who are engaged in combat get shot at. It's just part of what happens. The best news that I won't be able to spend a lot of time on today is this, trans, this transition verse between chapter 7 and chapter 8, where the Bible tells us that only Jesus saves. He is the only one that can save you. He is the only one that can sanctify you. He says, wretched man that I am. I love the fact that the, one of the godliest men that we know in all of Scripture talks about himself as a wretched man. And later, in another portion of Scripture, he calls himself the chief of sinners. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the transition between the internal conflict and the victory that God has waiting for us on the other side. Yes, you should fight. Yes, it is battle. Yes, it is combat. It is a struggle. But ultimately, only Jesus saves. As you look to him and say, Lord, I have looked in your word and see what you want from me. I have looked into my soul and I see how I fall short of your glory. God, save me. You know, you don't ask Jesus to just save you one time and you're done. Man, I ask Jesus to save me all the time. I didn't ask him just to save me on January 29th, 1991 when I was born again. 
I have asked Jesus to save me, not to, not, not to save me as far as send his Holy Spirit to indwell me and convert me, but I have asked Jesus to save me from my stupid decisions, from my loose lips, from my sinful nature inside of me. I'm like, Lord, you got to deliver me from me. You have to rescue me. You have to save me. You have to sanctify me. Because I live in a body of death. I still have an indwelling sinful nature. And I don't need to be saved from sin's penalty anymore. That's been removed in Christ. What I need saving for from is I need saving from sin's power over me. I need saving from that sinful nature, that gnarly dog that just keeps coming at me and keeps nipping at me. I need Jesus to continue to save me from that guy that's still inside of me, that's not completely dead. One day, one glorious day, I'll be completely delivered from this body of death. But right now, I still struggle. We all struggle. And this is the war that we're in. Will you call on Jesus to help you? If you're struggling today with the example that was given, covetousness, you're struggling today in your marriage with your finances you're struggling today relationally if you're struggling with some addiction alcoholism drugs pornography work yes you can be a workaholic if you're struggling with anything like this today would you call on Jesus to save you would, would you commit to the battle would you would you look at yourself today and say you know what what I'm going through you don't want to hear this but what I'm going through right now is exactly where I should be you see this battle when you're on the front lines and bullets are whizzing past your head and you're on the front lines of the war typically you think this is not where I want to be but the truth is that's right where you should be in the spiritual battle and Jesus is there with you He's in that trench with you. And the Bible says that he is mighty to save. Would you call upon his name? Let's bow our heads. You call upon his name. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You call upon his name. Ask Jesus to save you right now. Ask him. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? May the Lord bring your heart to rejoicing today with the Apostle Paul as he says, as God's word says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Not because I'm strong, not because I'm capable. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. May the Lord bring you victory today. May you continue in this battle and this fight for sanctification. May God snatch you away from any feelings of apathy. May the Lord bring to your mind right now this battle that's been waging inside of you and this struggle that you have with your sinful nature. May you meditate upon this war, this war of fear, this war of anger, this war of lust, this war of addiction, this war of whatever it might be, self-righteousness or gossip or self-doubt, whatever it might be. May you see today that you are exactly where God wants you to be and where you call upon the name of the Lord. Spend a few moments today, right now, call upon the name of the Lord. Ask Him to save you. 
ask him to help you.